0: Okay, so today's class is actually the first of the series that we titled Men, I think Men, Judaism, and the Pursuit of Pleasure, something like that, an exposition of major items in Jewish philosophy, life, and practice, I think that's what I came up with, which um, kept the topic, the subject matter broad enough that we can kind of talk about everything. But I view this series, hopefully, as an extension of the previous series. The previous series was um, Discover God, which is about, like, what do we mean when we say God? Like, did Getting clear definitions, understanding major items in, in Jewish theology, philosophy, and now we're trying to kind of take it to the next natural progression um, when we talk about the previous series as kind of the what, and now we're going to try to address the why. And I look at this as, like, more of it, like a little bit of an advancement, because... You know, philosophy is trying to grapple a lot with just just what, just getting definitions, understanding what it is that you're trying to you know to talk about. In Judaism, we always talk about the why as well. So we're going to try to take whatever we knew we learned about God um, in the in you know the five parts that we talked about five uh, part part series that we that we uh, uh, just concluded. We're going to try to take it to the natural step of okay, now that we understand what God is. And kind of, you know, in the stratosphere, it's kind of like a vague idea. We're going to try and understand the why, because it's going to be very much pertinent to us in our life and what we're here for. Because, quick secret, the what, uh, or the why, like why did God do all of this? We're going to play a major pivotal role, us as humans. Right? Humans are, and just the secret, I'll let you in on the secret. We're the reason why everything was created. Um, but I want to give maybe a little bit of background. I want to just work through the uh, natural, natural steps, logical steps to um, even even to talk about the why. Right? You're, you're, there's a basic assumption here. Right? If we're going to ask the question, "What's the purpose of life? What's the reason we're here for? Right? Is there meaning to our existence?" Right? That assumption right assumes that there is meaning. If I ask what is the meaning, then obviously I'm assuming that there is meaning. And I think that logically we have to accept that the idea of meaning, purpose, of us living for for a reason is very much linked to the existence of God. What I mean by this is as follows. Logically, we have to accept that if God exists, and we already gave definitions of God, right, creator, sustainer, supervisor involved with us, right? Um, Renewing life on a constant, steady, ongoing basis. But if God exists, then there has to be a purpose. It has to be. Because otherwise, he he wouldn't do something, right? No intelligence does something without a cause or without a reason. And even humans, no one does something without a reason. Intellect uh, mandates that doing something has to have an end goal, a cause, a purpose. So if that's even true for our limited intelligence, and I would even suspect or maybe venture to say that maybe even animals with their even uh, smaller intelligence, they do things for a reason, right? They, they, they procreate, they can live, they sustain, they whatever it is that they're doing, but they're doing for a cause. So certainly if God did what he did, and if God exists, then there has to be a cause. And conversely, if God does not exist, then everything that came into existence was was random without any guidance. Well then obviously there has to not be a cause, not not to be a purpose. Because if it's just random, right? There's no intelligence guiding, causing, bringing about this end, then obviously it's, there's no there's no purpose. This is an important point. And the point is that if God exists, there has to be a purpose, and if God does not exist, there cannot be a purpose. And like, I don't want to get too sidetracked with this point, but one of the things that a, a, a true atheist, maybe a true agnostic, because you can't really be an atheist. You can't, you can't have evidence that something doesn't exist, right? You can't be a real atheist. Real atheists are agnostics. But a true agnostic would have to admit, if, if, if they're intellectually honest, is that, hey, if God doesn't exist, right, on that side of the equation... There cannot be a reason for us to exist either, and therefore life cannot have real meaning. Can't. Maybe we're able to per- perceive meaning because, however, we came into uh, existence, where we came in with the with the receptors of pain and pleasure, and therefore we have a certain amount of pleasure when we cause pain to someone else, and we have a certain amount of pleasure when we do good. So there might be a value of doing good because it feels good for me. But, but on a deeper sense, having real meaning and having uh, uh, doing something for someone else or uh, true morality cannot really exist if if God doesn't exist. Because if God doesn't exist, then it's just a random. However, it happened, it was just uh, a no intelligence guiding it, and therefore. It, we're just a bunch of atoms and subatomic part of particles and cells that are somehow cobbled together, and we stay together, we're able to perceive pain and pleasure, and that's it. And then, therefore, well, you would say that maybe we should try to get as much pleasure as we can, and if that means giving and that gives us pleasure, then maybe we should do that as well. But you know, after we're dead, we assume we cannot feel any pain or pleasure anymore, and that's it. And our, our, our brief time over here is, is over and someone else could perceive pain and pleasure uh, down the road. But ultimately, there's no real reason to be good. And if you're actually going to have this, this argument's been argued before, but um, logically and intellectually, a, a, the intellectually honest uh, agnostic will have to admit this point. So, we're going with the premise that god does exist and therefore we have the premise that there must be a purpose. and therefore we're saying, now we're trying to ask the question well what's the purpose? well why did god do what he did? and before we so that's, so, so the first that's that, that's that's the first point. Second point is that we're actually going to have a really hard time with this. and there's this going to be somewhat of a of a catch 22. Uh, because The second you accept the Jewish definition of God, you're accepting that God is lacking nothing. And so God being the intelligence, but also lacking nothing, what would compel him to do something to accomplish a certain goal? Well, God doesn't have any limitations. So what could God have been lacking that would have compelled him to change the status of pre-world? Just God exists. He lacks nothing. What's he trying to accomplish by creating the world and creating mankind and creating all the animals and the trees and the galaxies and the stratospheres and the cosmos? There has to be a goal that God tried to accomplish. Hence, the goal cannot have been accomplished otherwise. Well, Rabbi, you told us that God, by definition, cannot be limited. Cannot be limited is lacking nothing. If he's lacking nothing, then what can he possibly be trying to, be, to accomplish by creating the universe? He's obviously trying to accomplish something, well, that he hadn't had earlier. So it must be, he is lacking in a certain measure. But wait a minute, he said, Rabbi, you said that God's lacking nothing. Is it physically nothing or intellectually nothing? So we just put ourselves into a little pretzel. It's our corner. Right? We, had, we gave very clear definitions of God, right? at least to the best of our ability. We said God lacks nothing, but we said that if God exists, there has to be a purpose, and therefore God did something to accomplish something. But wait a minute, Rabbi, this doesn't make any sense. You told us earlier that God's lacking nothing. If he's lacking nothing, well, how could he say that he's trying to accomplish something, like creating the world and having some goal that he wants to accomplish? What do you mean? He's lacking nothing. He gave without wanting,
1: needing anything back for himself. That was the the initial um, part of creation that's what was special about, was he had no needs, but he wanted to bestow pleasure and give even
0: mm. though if he didn't eat anything for himself. That's... Okay, does anyone hear what Dan's saying? Dan's making a very, it's a very fine distinction, so it's important to to flesh it out. I, I agree with you 100%. I think you hit the nail on the head. And that's one Altruistic. of the traditional... Altruistic isn't one of the adjectives we usually attribute to God, but that's, that's what he's describing. Well, it's, it's more than altruism. We could say that on a certain level... God was lacking something. And I think this might have been what Vital was trying to say. Uh, essentially, God himself, right, has no limitations. <laughs> but by the very existence of God pre-world, there was something that he couldn't do just by accepting his, the definition of, of what God is. Uh, we, we, we might have mentioned this in the previous years. I think we did, um, that we... Uh, the, the you know that silly question that some of us have have heard maybe too many times. Um, can God create a stone that He cannot lift? No one heard that one before. Disgusting. Yeah, we we did discuss it, and it's it's once again it's trying to present uh, someone into a uh, you know in, into a corner because you're saying God cannot be limited, so therefore there's nothing He cannot lift, but. If he can't create that, well, then he is limited. So either way, he's limited. So either way, you have a problem with your definition. and And the answer to that question is going to be similar to the answer to our question. God cannot change what he is. Hence, God cannot limit himself. Hence, God cannot create limitations for himself. Hence, God cannot create a rock that he cannot lift, because by doing that, he would limit himself. And God cannot limit himself. So, yes, God is limited, but he's limited in his ability to change himself, but because he himself is not limited. so It's, it's somewhat of a fine distinction I'm trying to make here. Sophistry? Does, does
2: huh?
0: Sophistry? Sophistry? What does that mean? Sorry. Sophistry? It, yeah,
2: it's when an argument Educate is me. created. Yeah. I think it's a Greek Greek word. When was, yeah. An argument is created, which really for the argument of it's for its own sake, when it doesn't it really answer the question but takes you on a whole new tangential direction.
0: Yeah. So it's like a, you know creating a so instead of yeah making
2: like, a point you're just making an ar- argument.
0: Yeah. Um. So I think we're going to have to use that same kind of um, logic to address this. By definition of, uh, by accepting the Jewish definition of God, we're saying that he himself is not limited, but his status, his situation can be that he cannot do some certain things. Like he can't create a lot, a lot, he can't lift. And he cannot, like Dan said, he cannot give if there is nothing else besides for him. Right. God existing in a world, uh, or in in, in existence, that there's no world, right? Pre the world, God was limited; that God couldn't give. And like Dan, like Dan said, according to Judaism, this is one of the reasons. We have two reasons. We'll get to the other one. One of the reasons why God created the world is because God. Was limited that he couldn't do something that he wanted to do, which is to be to be giving. Because how could you give if there's no one else to give to? Therefore, God created the the world, the universe, created the animals and angels and people to give to people. There's this other point, we're gonna, I'm going to explain a little, uh, uh, you know, at greater at greater length. Right? The first answer that we have to our question of why did God create the universe, was to give, and maybe even more precisely, to give pleasure to people. Okay, that's the first answer. Second answer is that God's monarchy or kingdom was lacking. What do we mean by that? If you're a king of your own island, imagine you bought an island, and you... ...planted your flag and said, this is my country, this is uh, Wolbystan, right? Or, uh, yeah, um, America, but you're, you're the only person there, right? Are you really a king or not? Yes. Well, on a certain on a certain sense, you are, because you have ultimate power and dominion over what it is that you're a king over. On a certain sense, there is. In the other sense, no one is really uh, testifying... Uh, or attesting to that reality, so there's a so there's a much lower level of one's kingdom when when someone is just the king of his of, of I'm the king of my office, but there's no one there really testifying to that, or king of the country, right? Or we planted the flag on on, on on Mars or on the moon, but it's not like we could declare ourselves king over people who or or subjects. You We're know, a king without subjects was kind of lacking. Yes, at a certain you degree
3: resources that that Yes, has.
0: okay, but a king over subjects is maybe a higher level. We would all agree on that. Even that, that being so, if someone is a dictator, if someone is a dictator and someone forces other people to be subjugated to him, that's also a lower level of kingdom, of kingship, than if people on their own accord attest to his dominion. So there's a difference between between a, a, a dictator, a, a Saddam Hussein, a Stalin, or something like that, or Kim Jong-il, Un, or whatever, which one, whichever one is now in charge of North Korea, right? He's just imposing. He's just imposing his will. Right? People aren't necessarily testifying to that. Look you know, look, look at our leader. Right? As opposed to maybe, I don't know, the monarchy doesn't really exist anymore. Maybe in Jordan, I guess, uh, where's their true monarchy anymore? So, yeah. Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia and Jordan with the still kings and royal. There, uh, uh, you know, but that's ass- – assuming we could create a modern state where the people would nominate a king to have absolute monarchy, that would be the greatest level of monarchy, of kingdom. How is this relevant to our discussion? It's relevant because the other answer to this great question of why God created the world – is because God wanted to complete His kingdom by creating the world; hence, He'll have subjects. But even that is only the beginning, because God is God's all powerful. God's in control, anyhow, irrespective of whether or not we agree upon Him. Even even the atheist God controls Him, right? Yeah, but still, there's a much greater level of creating a um, an individual capable. Of choosing whether or not to accept God as his king and that person decides to yes accept God as his king his or her king that's a much higher level I feel like I'm losing the crowd here how's everyone doing yeah we're well with yeah okay so uh-huh. <laughs> I want to just maybe um, say this point from a different angle, right? God created angels. Angels are not capable of choosing. No free will? They don't have free will. Right? They're purely spiritual entities. They're much more spiritual than we are, um, at least the way we are currently composed. Um, and the angels all testify to God's supreme kingdom. Right? They don't doubt it. And in a certain level, the animals know it as well. But each one of those things are incapable of of doing anything other than the way their instinct dictates. Angels and animals are kind of similar in a way. Angels are pure spirituality, not capable of making choices, because they don't have any physicality, any materialism. Animals are pure physicality, pure instinct, no spirituality. Hence, not capable of making decisions either. So, God could created animals, right? And the animals, yeah, God, God, right, right? Yeah, sure, sure, God. And then he'll have maybe a level one monarchy, but it's monarchy where people don't have choice to, people, right? It's a dictatorship, so to speak. So yes, God is a king, but that's not the ultimate. So God wanted to create humans, humans as being half beast half-angel, body-soul, physicality mixed with spirituality, hence, being constantly strung between these two polar opposites, granted the ability to favor one or the other, therefore, granted the ability of uh, identifying more with the soul, identifying more with the body, being more angel-like, being more Beast-like, being more animal-like, capable of making the choices, right? Guided by an intellect to enable them to actually notice that it means the intellect is the key to help us make this identification, right? It's the it's the tool, so to speak, that you could use to strengthen your spirituality and therefore through his intellect to overcome this great challenge, this great turmoil, this great chaos that man is thrown into, and make the decision to recognize God as a result of their intellectual activity, to recognize God, to testify to God, that's the greatest form of monarchy. That someone, some entity that has the ability to choose otherwise and independently is granted the, the ability of free choice, Free choice, which is unguarded, right, Un- unregulated by God Himself, right? God, well, to, that that statement could be mis- misinterpreted, but almost always unregulated by God, right? Hitler was granted free will to do whatever he wanted, right? That's a, that's an element of that, that's a that's a, a description of God letting people do what they want. So therefore, man with the free will to choose one way or the other. The ultimate goal in the universe, according to the second opinion, is that man, with the free will to choose one way or the other, to choose to choose to believe in God and to independently testify to that. And there is no greater kingdom for God. And that God was lacking; He didn't have that before He created the the world. And that's the purpose of the world. You know what? Rabbi Cohen talked about
1: a few years ago, and he had one little step in there that was different. That First, he created us spiritually to bestow pleasure on us. And without the materialism, he uh, we were just receiving. It, it was the bread of shame story he gave. We'll get to that.
0: Okay. So to... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh...
1: But basically just that we, we are the one that said we want the free will. We want choice so we can.
0: One thing that I profess to know nothing about is Kabbalah. Um, I, don't, I don't ever teach it, but um, and I, I'm not going to argue with Robert Cohn. Um, he knows it. I, I know I don't know anything about it. You know, but Sometimes you you know people think they know something, sometimes people are absolutely sure that they don't know anything about it. I'm, I'm of the latter. I know for sure that I don't know anything about Kabbalah. <laughs> you but, you like a goal? Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, I've met a few of them, but <laughs> – uh, so what I try to do is take all the revealed sources, not the hidden sources. So um, – and in reality, we know that Kabbalah um, that wasn't um, – unadulterated Kabbalah will mirror what we actually have from the sorcerers, from the ancient documents, from the Torah, from the Talmud, from Maimonides, from Ramchal. The, it, it will mirror each other. So yeah, so you'll tell me at the end if you, if you think it uh, it, it, uh, it mirrors. Because what you mentioned, bread of shame, that's a Talmud. So that I have a uh, free license to talk about.
1: Well, it's just the only distinction was that...
0: Uh, well, we, 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 we made a choice.
1: We, we wanted that so we could give. We okay. wanted to be able to give back to God. We,
0: we, it wasn't true pleasure for us because... There's no way to get true pleasures from giving back, and we couldn't give back because there was. Okay, but you're 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 a step ahead of everyone else because you're up already into the whole idea of true pleasure versus not true pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. <laughs> what ahead of everyone else? No, I'm with him. I, I've been um, studying philosophy. Well, oh. Okay, so um, so we have we have we have two answers to our question. Now, what I'm going to try to do over the whole series, or we'll see how long we talk about this. But is, I'm going to try to demonstrate how these two two different answers. Let's go to the answers again. Number one, to give men pleasure. We'll dig in deeper into each one of them. Um, number two, to, to be God to, to give, right? Number two, that God's kingdom should be um, on a much higher level. These two things are really the same answer. Maybe just different ways to view the same thing. Uh, that's going to be like an underlying theme. But hold the thought because we're not going to really address it maybe till the end. Um, I don't know if we will get to today or next week or whatever. Yeah. When do they take material form? When take, well, every once in a while like we were told in the Torah the you know the uh, like what is it Genesis 15 the Abraham a few of the times when they went to Lot um, the idea of an, of, a, of, a, of something being pure spirituality being able to take physical form. Uh, but even that, it wasn't quite. It kind of looked like physical form. It wasn't really. They weren't really eating, right? Okay. well... It gives there the was appearance. Somebody was wrestling with an angel. Yes. Jacob. That's but remember that's a spiritual battle. Oh, Jacob, true. yes, <laughs> Jacob was so tapped into. He was so he identified so strongly with his spiritual sense that he was able to engage in a spiritual battle. Yes. Yeah. None of us would be able to, because our spirituality and physicality are so mixed up and, and we're, we're so torn, our identity is, is such a mess, something which is pure spirituality would attack us and pounce us and destroy us. No, no, yeah. Um, and yet he's left with a physical limp for the
3: rest yeah. of his
0: life. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, but Because as a human, he does have, there is a touch point between, there's always that if you're alive and you're human, there's going to be a touch point between your spirituality and physicality as much as they're distinct entities and as much as you could perfect yourself to have them uh, agreeable and working in unison and, and having some sort of harmony between your body and soul, because we'll see, as we'll see, it's a very chaotic relationship. But as much as you're able to do that, still, there's going to be a touch point between you, as, as long as you're alive. Uh, and remember, we have the tumular statements of Jacob didn't die. Uh, what does that mean? I'm going to try to... I kind of feel like I'm putting too much information without actually explaining it, so I'm going to try to explain it in a more systematic fashion. So there's two things I want to I want to address here before we move on. Um, number one is the point that he brought up, which is true pleasure versus maybe true pleasure or versus maybe it is fake pleasure, um, bread of shame point. But um, I want to maybe spend some time to understand the physiology of man as we understand it. Because I'm, I said man is spirituality mixed with physicality. How does that work? What's the interplay? So, who here knows the Hebrew word for man? Adam. Adam, very good. What does Adam mean? We know that in Hebrew, the etymology of a word um, is, is, uh, is in the word itself. So, if you want to know what the root of the word is... You have to learn the word and see what other words are similar to that words. So, what is uh, what is the Hebrew word that's similar to the word Adam? Adam. Adam, red. Okay, I like that. Red, I like that. Okay, I want to think of another word that uh, I don't mean like Earth or something. Adamah. Very good. So the Talmud asks this question: What does the word Adam mean? It says number one, Adamah, and number two, Adame which both sound like the word Adam, right? That one, right? Adam, Adamah, Adamah. Right. Adam is man. Adama is earth. Adame is similar. To be similar. Similar to what? Adamele ilyon, Similar to God. So Talmud asks a question. It says, what is man? And it gives us two answers. Number one, earth. Number two, similar to God. If I ask you a question for a definition, I would expect one answer. I asked for a question about the definition of man, I got two answers. I got Adama, earth and Adam similar to God what does that mean the answer is when you asked what is man you get two answers because man is two things that were fused meshed together man is Adamah right man's body is no different than earth how do you know that if you put up someone's body into the earth it will decompose and become indistinguishable from the earth (laughs) around it God created man from the earth He took earth and made man's body. Man's body is earth. It's the same thing. Yet, man is also similar to God. How is that possible? Because man has a soul as well. The Talmud tells us, I mentioned mentioned this once before, that as a child is being born, they make the child swear, and they say, you should know, God is pure, the angels are pure, your soul is pure. What it did is it, it put these three entities in one basket. God, angels, man's soul. We're all put into one basket under the headline, pure. That means that on a certain sense, man's soul is similar to God. It was put in the same basket. It was given the, granted the same definition. God is pure. Angels are pure. My soul is pure. I am similar to God because I have a soul. And from my soul half, I'm similar to God. So you ask me, what is man? I'll give you two answers. I have a soul and I have a body. My body is, is earth. It's the same thing. You put the body into the earth. That's where it that's where it, uh, it decomposes and remains indistinguishable. Right? But man also has a little piece of heaven, so to speak, within him, and on that he's similar to God. So man is a, just a walking dichotomy. A walking oxymoron. I said this joke before. He's a walking oxymoron, but Some men are just morons. I said that. Okay. I hate repeating jokes, but... Man is a walking oxymoron, right? It's one question mark. What's the definition of man? It's Adam, but that can mean one of two things because that's what man is. Man is one of two things that were fused together. Now, this is very important because this enables us to make decisions. If you only have one side of the story you're not going to be able to hear anything else. If you have both sides of the story, then you have to make a decision. Animals are very similar to men because animals have a body. Animals have instinct. Right? Your body has instinct. I you like that and you blink. right? Why? Because you have instinct. Right? No different than the animal. Right? Men will do anything to survive. Animals will do anything to survive. Men will procreate. Animals will procreate. Right? Men can experience pleasure. Animals can experience pleasure. What's the difference? Right? We have a heart. We have a physical body. It's the, the same exact thing. Right? From the body side, from your soul side, you're you're an angel. You are an angel. You're capable of, of connecting to God. You're an angel. No animal could do that, right? You're but you're both. Decision is where man number one chooses between his instinct and his and his soul between his body and his soul. And also, instant, uh, free choice enables someone to, to go beyond their instinct. To do something which their instinct tells them not to do. What I'm trying to say is like this. Uh, the, uh, the most popular place in I think the, the world, for sure the United States, to commit suicide is uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Very good. There's like one or two people who jump off the Golden Bridge every day. People like flying, there's like, um, you know, there's like uh, dental tourism, and there's like um, casino uh, gambling tourism, like people fly to Holland to get dental because it's cheaper. There's like suicide tourism, and people go to San Francisco and jump, which is pretty crazy. Um, so let's say, um, let's say we, we took a class trip to Golden Gate Bridge, and we're waiting around for a couple of hours, finally we see some... Uh, poor soul, climbing up the side, and uh, he's about to jump, right? He can, but he a big fence well, no, okay, fine. So man will find a way, right? <laughs> Life will find a way to jump to a conclusion. Um, so let's say we see the guy there dangling, and they're trying to are a few passerbys, trying to convince him to me, this is a bad idea, right? And he's saying, no, I'm going to jump, and we do an experiment. What's our experiment? He's facing the other way, right, and uh, he's facing the other way, and we say, hey, and he turns around, we throw a rock at him, right at his face. What's he going to do? Um, duck. He's going to duck. Why is he going to duck? It's because he has an instinct of survival that was put in him, just like it was put into every animal, an instinct to survive, right? It's, and it's not based on decisions. When I go like this and I see you blink, it's not decision-based. You don't say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's a finger about the snap in front of my face. Uh, what should I do? Oh, I probably close my eyes. Maybe it's dangerous to my eyes. No, it's instinct. It's built in. It's hardwired into the DNA of your body. And this man, despite the fact that he made a choice to kill himself, he still has the instinct to survive. The point is, is that this is like an illustration of these two these two forces that are within a person that could be working simultaneously. Number one, the instinct. Number two, the ability to go beyond the instinct. For good or for bad. Someone could choose to go beyond the instinct of survival and jump off the bridge. On the other hand, someone could go beyond the instinct of survival when two people are I guess they're starving I don't know, in some concentration camp and one of them gets a bowl of soup to do the right, well, not the right thing, but it might be a question, but assuming that he's able to survive otherwise, to share his bowl with someone else and save someone, right? Your survival instinct would say, keep all the food for myself, right? That's what survival instinct would, 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 would you know, uh, if, if you ask the survival instinct what's the right thing to do, you keep all the nutrients for yourself. But a person is able to, on a higher sense, go beyond that and do something good because that's their soul talking and their soul is able to supersede their instinct, so, this puts man at a very unique... This free choice puts man at, as the focal point of the universe. Why is that? Now, we said that, that God created us for one of two reasons. Maybe it's the same reason. We'll see that later on. Either because we're the only ones who could, through our own free will, choose to recognize God. So therefore, because we have the ability to reject God, when we choose God, it's kind of like coming from an independent source, and therefore it's a true kingdom. So God's kingdom, so to speak, is enlarged. So because we have free will, Because we have this interplay of of the body and soul, we're able to bring the world to to its completion by choosing to believe in God. Uh, Hence, our free will, that aspect of free will is so critical to the the purpose of the world because that's what brings the world to its purpose. The fact that we have free will and we can choose one way or the other. Similarly, and this will get to, to Dan's point, when 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 God wants to do good, the other answer that we gave, God wants to do good. God wants to be giving. He wants to give man pleasure. When I say man, I mean mankind. Okay. Uh, God wants to give man, mankind pleasure. He wants to be giving. If it's just God, well, there's no one to give pleasure to. God creates the world to give pleasure. Well, God could have easily given pleasure to animals or to angels. Why does God need to give pleasure to us? Why does God need to create us as entities capable of making decisions if God just wants to give us pleasure? God could just say, download pleasure to that animal. An animal just has tons and tons of pleasure. Awesome. Wow, God gave. God was giving. Download pleasure, right, or upload pleasure to this uh, angel. Ah, He gave pleasure to the angel. Mazel tov. The world reached its completion. Why do do you need this complex mix of humans capable of doing so good and so evil? It's just a mess in engineering to try to get the body and soul to cooperate. It's a disaster. The Talmud tells us that the soul, every second, tries to leave the body. The soul of the body are like two magnets that you turn them upside down and you push them together, even though they're pushing away from each other. Total opposites. You have the animal, you have the angel. They don't want; they don't want nothing to do with each other. And God forces them together and keeps them like that against their will. Why is all that necessary? You want to give pleasure, give pleasure. Just give the pleasure to, to animals, to angels, to spiritual entities, to material material entities. Why is it? Why is there this need to create this hybrid, this half man, half angel, body soul fused together? Incredible feat of engineering. Why is that necessary? So, the answer to that question, and Dan already mentioned it, is that when God decided that he wants to give, he wants to give pleasure, God wanted to give pleasure in the most perfect sense. God wanted to be the most perfect giver. God wanted not to just give, but to give on the highest level of giving. What's the highest level of giving? When the person or entity you're giving to has the highest degree of pleasure. They enjoy it the most. Therefore, God said, if I were to just give pleasure to animals, or give pleasure to uh, animals, angels, or even give pleasure to humans as a freebie, right? That's what's called bread of shame that uh, Dan mentioned. They didn't earn it. Huh? They didn't earn it. It's it's the free car that you got for your 16th birthday, and you smash that up a week and a half later. right? You have no pleasure in it. But something you work hard, you toil, you accomplish, there's no greater pleasure. That's why people who win the lottery, they're miserable, because it's money they didn't earn. That's why Parents uh, who work so hard to earn their their fortune, they give it to their kids who just uh, squander it, squander it uh, you know, so fast because they don't they don't enjoy. You cannot enjoy something you got for free. There's no pleasure in a free handout. Right? It's like it's like cheating on the test and getting the highest score, and then saying, "Oh, look at you." What an academic genius! And that was lauded. You. you get the front page news, and, and like you, you feel you feel like kind of guilty enjoying the pleasure when you cheated for it. Right? It was a free pleasure. You didn't work to accomplish it. But if you work to accomplish something, if you write a book and you toil through the night to try to accomplish something, right? And you give up so much of yourself into a project, that's real pleasure. So God wanted to create a situation where the recipient, the receptacle of God's goodness is going to have the highest degree of pleasure. Therefore, God created someone who is a mix of body and soul, a mix of all these different forces. Someone will have to work really, really hard to gain clarity in life, in purpose, in meaning will have to make the right choices and as a result of the right choices, earn that pleasure and therefore be able to experience the highest levels of pleasure that God intended to bestow upon us. Therefore, God created man with free will because through the free will, man will be able to earn that highest degree of pleasure that can only come when you work hard to accomplish something. So, in a sense, we could say that when you ask the question, what's the purpose? You'll say two answers, right? Either to enlarge God's kingdom or to give pleasure. Both of them, the focus point is on man, right? Man is going to be the one to attest to God, God's kingdom. Man is going to be the receptacle of God's, of God's good. Now, what specifically about man right, makes him or her unique as being the focal point of, uh, uh, of 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 God's goodness, or of attesting to God's greatness or God's kingdom, the fact that man could choose otherwise. Right. Man has the ability to choose. Therefore, if he chooses to uh, acknowledge God, right, then it's a true kingdom. It's not just a kingdom of of, of subservient, uh, uh, subjugated, oppressed people that just against their will have to attest to the fact of to, to, to the dominion of their of their ruler. It's people that choose, through their free will, make an objective decision uh, to believe in God. And also, man, because man has the ability to make choices, therefore, man is able to accomplish the ultimate goodness, the ultimate pleasure, because man can earn it through his and her free will. Therefore, um, it's not just the fact that man is the is the reason, but specifically the free will aspect of the man uh, as being the reason uh, why or the, purpo- the, the, the 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 function that uh, is able to to bring about the purpose of why God created the the, uh, the universe. How are we doing everyone? I mm? I don't hear anything. Yeah, one comments. I just have a
2: question. This aspect, of this justification of
0: free will given
2: to man. Yes. Is it unique to Judaism or is also the
0: same line of thought goes to Christ Christianity? Or That's a very good question. How do the Gentiles fill in this? Now, having a soul is unique to all humans. If you look at Adam, Adam was created twice. You would just read Genesis chapter 1. Adam was created twice. And you're like, well, wait a minute. We, we Just a few pages earlier we created Adam. Well, Why are we doing this again? Okay. Uh, because Adam was created twice because Adam means two things. Because man means two things. What does man mean? Well, man means, number one, the body. Number two, the soul. The two separate creations. They were fused together. So therefore, it's two separate things. And therefore, all men... All humans have free will; hence, all humans are um, humanity as a whole. Is the purpose of of um, of God's creation? How Judaism views the Jewish people's responsibility versus. Um, versus uh, what the, how the Gentiles are going to play a role in this is that we're going to be the ones who are who is going to be the uh, the impetus to bring the world to recognition of God and yeah we say that these the Gentiles have pleasure as well of course right? Gentiles could choose make, make, make the right choices as well right we have the responsibility, Of making sure that the world is a moral world, uh, making sure the world is going to recognize God, and therefore um, I think all humanity as a whole, like we talk about um, in the end of days or when the Mashiach comes, the whole world is going to testify to the greatness of God, right? But we're kind of the ones who are responsible to make sure that happens. Put into the, put yes, the, uh... yes, he breathed life into his nostrils. Yes, um, which remember, like it's God forming the, the 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 body and then blowing into his nostrils. Think about how intimate that sounds, right? How close to God is our soul? Sound mm-hmm. right? Something that God blew into his nostrils. So yeah, like we said, on the soul, the soul and shares some common denominators with God Himself. Yeah, it's 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 similar. And you look at my it, my mod—it's it's kind of similar, but not quite. Yeah, we'll um, look t- uh, t- you look at my modities. oh, I apologize. Ooh, did I not sound your? No, but you're. Oh <laughs> gosh. <laughs> <No worries>. Careful. <laughs> I don't want the call from you,
3: either. <laughs>
1: They, even
4: though
1: there was just a few you know?
4: mm-hmm. so that's what keeps going
0: through my mind well we view the whole Adam experience and even the Noah experience as being reasons why think about it, we mentioned I don't know if we mentioned this, but Adam, we look at, at Adam as being an amalgamation of all humanity of what? an amalgamation of all humanity right? There's only one man because that was all humanity and all he needed was one man I apologize. Well, I'm, I think I'm a little hard of hearing, also. Well, we have but I'm, let me just finish this point. I'll get back to you in a, in a second. Um, so we say is that when God initially tried to bring this purpose via Adam, right? Had Adam been successful in the test, and what the test was is a separate discussion. Had Adam been successful, right? It would have been all of humanity. Bringing the world to its purpose, whatever the purpose was, both of them, it was the same thing. Number one, to have the ultimate pleasure. Number two, to to testify to God. Adam failed. Right. Noah, on a certain sense, was these or Noah's time was once again all of humanity. Humanity was split into multiple parts, but it was all you It was no the Jews weren't around, and the hope was that all of humanity could band together. And bring the world to its ultimate purpose. And unfortunately, they didn't. So God made a decision that it's not going to be all of humanity together as one. Rather, there's going to be one group who is going to be the, um, the, the active, responsible party to bring in the rest of the group on board. And that was open for everyone, that mantle was available for anyone until Abraham decided to be the one to accept the responsibility. Abraham accepted, hence his his children are going to be these people. And, and and this brings me back to Felipe's point. Uh, Maimonides writes that we view the Christians and, and the Muslims as being, kind of doing a little bit of our dirty work. It doesn't sound so good, but, you know... Uh, Abraham began in a very, very pagan world. What does that mean? It means that people had these figurines, like you see those figurines on top there of the bookshelf? Everyone had one of those in their house, and they would just bow down to it, and they would accord they would accord real power to lifeless wooden statues. It's crazy, but people did that. Even in India today, there's cows that people just... I know my my father would do some business in India. It says that they would have in every single office this little like elephant little figurine, and they would just like get down. It's crazy, Ganesh. huh? Ganesh. What is well, what's that's the that's the name elephant. of it. it's outrageous. And that was the world. That was the entire universe. It comes along Abraham starts preaching this one invisible infinite God, only one, and that was such a novel idea. And then fast forward even to the Greeks and the Romans had an excess of thirty thousand gods, according to Dio Cassius, thirty thousand, right? And if you look at it today, like pretty much the entire world, I guess, with the exception of India, and maybe the Chinese, uh, the or- the Orientals, a little bit like much much less uh, religious, but the entire Western world, first of all, understands the idea of one God. The Christians maybe it's a little bit different. It is a little bit different. Uh, yeah, you know, and giving godly powers to a human, we have a big problem with that. But the idea of of, of an invisible god it was spread throughout the humanity, and you're just the wording, just the terminology that Abraham in Abraham's time was so foreign, is now uh, has now been disseminated across the entire planet. Right, Thanks to the Christians and the Muslims. So we say that even though you know we have severe issues with them and they've been slaughtering us and we've had lots of religious wars and the Crusades and the Inquisitions and the expulsions and all the bad blood, so to speak, that we've had, but in the grand sense, the Christians and the Muslims are kind of doing our dirty work by teaching the world about either uh, – like as the, in the case of the Muslims – The Jewish God, or the case of the Christians, something which is kind of similar to the Jewish God, much more similar than uh, the gods that were uh, very popular, you know, thousands of years years ago. Would you equate the Islamic situation right now and compare it to the Inquisition? In what sense? What they're doing is jihad business, and you ain't uh, believing it? I'll cut your head off and all that sort of thing, torture and whatnot. Well. It's you know, they got the God part down down pad. It's the application about it. It's the Muhammad Rasul Allah part that, <laughs> that we take that we have a problem with. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. It, would I in truth, it might be not let's put your un, unpopular opinion alert to cap on. I kind of have less of a problem with the Muslims for sure today. Like, what? How much havoc have the Muslims really caused? Not so much. And traditionally, the Muslims and the Jews were a lot closer than the Muslims and the Christians. That has only changed in the past fifty years, maybe even hundred years. Um, and the Arabs are always coming over getting cured in Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, the the, in the but the 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 kind of um, just. Mass slaughters and pogroms and blood libels and inquisitions and expulsions from countries like every country in Europe, besides for Poland, it's you know had an expulsion of the Jews over the past thousand years. Every single one. Since 1968 was the last one in Poland. It you know it's it's outrageous, and the, that was because that was you know the past thousand years. Well, if you look at th- the past thousand years of Jewish history, it's just one bloodshed after the other from the Christians. So, and the Muslims, it's kind of been, we've kind of both been, we were in the center of uh, of, of the Islamo-Christian battles of the, you know, inquisitions. But, you know, the 500 years in Spain, right, the Jews and the Muslims live, you know, in close proximity, very friendly, and not, we don't have any recordings of these massive, you know, any, even, you know what, even, and I know this is unpopular, so everyone please, I, I gave that disclaimer, but even the past, and I'm trying to cite statistics and figures and facts, I'm not trying to give any of my own opinions on it, Uh, but even the past hundred years, when after the formation of the state of Israel, the Jews of many Arab countries were bounced out. They weren't bounced out the same way the Jews of a thousand years ago were bounced out of the European Christian countries. Right, they were bounced out, put on planes, and sent to Israel. Right, it's not as bad as being bounced out, put on, you know, auto uh, defeas and burnt to the, you know, you know, unpopular opinion. But that's the point. The point is is that, yeah, yeah, there is a there is an air of, of, of Islamic radicalism. Um, how that actually works out, and how you know the the uh, what's what's. You know, in the bigger picture, try to zoom out and look at it for you know from a few hundred years perspective. How bad is it for us? I, you know, I kind of think another unpopular opinion alerts. This is an opinion, you know. I kind of think that in terms of oh, this is gonna be so unpopular. (laughs) You might not get out of here. I might not. (laughs) Okay. uh, you know, I, I I think that in terms of, of vibrancy of religion, the the Muslims are for sure more vibrant than the Christians. Um, I think that, like we said, the, the the Muslim definition of God is a lot closer to ours. But also, I think that you know when we, in terms of, uh, of of upholding morality, um, at least you know, to the definitions that the Torah would give, the, Christ, the Muslim countries are doing a much better job of it. You know, if you if you took someone from the 1940s and 50s and just dropped them down in any street in America, you know, just to see how people interacted, how people spoke, how people drive, how people dress, people would be shocked because, and we don't, we're also a product of decadence of, of today's culture, but you know, in, in Muslim countries, they don't have that as much. So yes, there is some radicalism and oh, they don't let women drive and all those things. But in a certain sense, if you look at like what traditional morality looked like a hundred years ago in this country, it would be a lot closer to what happens. And in, in you know, you watch a movie from the from the nineteen forties and how the women are dressed and how the men interact with the women. And this whole objectifying women thing is a new thing, right? And all the women need to dress like... I was at the basketball game last night. And uh, one, of our, one of our Torch students has a suite at the, at, the, at the Rockets game. And as we're walking out, he was just set, just talking about how these women come to the game, like, dressed to the nines, you know, and just displaying their, uh, their bodies in, in such a... Like, it's, you know, it's just sad what our culture has, has become. And and you look at the movies from 1920s and 30s, and you know women, you know the, the, the old time values were 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 practiced then, and they're not practiced today. Divorce skyrocketing, well, 60% divorce, it's outrageous. What happened to what happened to traditional values in the United States? And we're supposedly a Christian country. I, I knew this would be unpopular, right? But I'm just trying to like I'm trying to cite statistics and. Draw everything you want.
2: This is a byproduct of postmodern society in the West. Whereas the Muslims are still about in their uh, development, not cultural or intelligence, but in the in sense of society, societal development. They're still somewhere two or three hundred years behind the West.
0: But is it possible to have a developed society but still have traditional values? Is that possible? It's not possible? Why not? Why does today's society mean that we have to be miserable? Like, how come, how come, uh, just look like America in the 1940s, how come we cannot have that again? With today's technological advancements and societal advancements. America of 1940s probably was. Let's take the divorce rate. Do you think divorce is a good thing or a bad thing? Obviously, it's a terrible thing, right? I think Everyone it could re- be a good thing. It could be a good thing for sure, but wide scale divorce that is just that people don't have. Uh, that children grow up in 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 one parent homes and the parents are fighting. I know it's so sad to see, right? Yes, it uh, for, in a certain sense, it's a good thing. It's a good. It's a, yeah, no one should be stuck in a marriage that they, you know, you know. But just what America um, has done, and this has been, is uh, who, who uh, 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 this is unpopular. I know. <laughs> Let me just finish this one point. And we'll get back to it. I pro- I said it was going to be unpopular. Well, look at
1: the women on TV. Yeah.
3: I think one of the biggest challenges is that whether it's the issue of divorce or, or women or whatever it is I think it all comes back to how do we look at another human? Most of the time, I think in our society we're looking at them as objects. As
0: is that those, a good thing or bad thing? I,
3: it is not in my opinion, a good
0: thing. Yeah, I do want to read really that objectifying women is a bad thing.
3: Well, we also objectify men. Oh, that's also a bad thing. And I'm not so sure that that allows us to look at that person and see a human quality there. I think it, it clouds it in a way in which I just look at you, and what can I get from you, as opposed to the fact that you are beautiful, you're intelligent, and you have something to offer. Humanity.
1: Uses objects for when it's displayed in Hollywood, and then, therefore, the rest of society picks it up. But initially, it probably start. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the beautiful woman in the swimsuit leaning on the car, right? Well, even before that, dowries.
3: Yes, I mean, you know, that's true. I mean,
0: it's true. I'm not so sure that we can equate this to the past was better and the present. I'm not trying to say that we should go back to living like we did. That's not my point. I'm just lamenting the fact that all-time values, which I believe and I think could be demonstrably displayed, are actually better for people's lives. People will be happier. I think they made some study about the happiness indexes Mm -hmm. that even though people have so much more, they're actually less happy. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the... And maybe we'll get into this try to be a bad discussion. When we talk about pleasure, I think that the... Something which could be very alluring, very sexy, right, may not actually have lasting pleasure uh, ability. And my point is, I and, think this could be cyclical, you know. Well, like, yeah, oh, we, and we know that uh, that uh, decadence, or you know, the mm-hmm. even well, in the twenties, even you think you think about you think about, you think about just historically, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like the Romans were just renowned for like. Hedonism. Absolute hedonism, right? Mm-hmm. And that went away for a long time.
2: You don't need to look at Romans. In the mid-80s in Afghanistan, when I was there, women were in Kabul and the big cities. They were wearing miniskirts. skirts. Mm-hmm. They would go to colleges. They would have stiletto heels. Mm-hmm. And then, not even a generation, 10 years later, there would be Taliban with burqa. So
3: I think that could be a nice, healthy medium.
0: The you know?
2: swings incredibly
0: wide. Yeah.
3: And women are always on the short end of the
2: stick, excuse me.
1: We had that in Iran when I was over there, when I was over at the shop. And uh, go. good yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, when that idiot Kumi came in there. I never even heard of the guy. And all of a sudden, he's a, he's a top dog and kicked the shop out. Captured,
0: what
1: was it, 244 Americans? And for a very
0: long time. So, the idol. Just getting back to the yeah. idol. Yeah. One. Uh, one thing that I'm intrigued by. Oh, I, I, I'm trying to, can you help us retrace our steps? We were talking about the idol, but uh, in respect to how Abraham, oh, someone asked a question about how the Christians, the Muslims, fit into this picture, and we say that they kind of helped us mainstream the idea of one God. Right? Yes.
1: Back so, to the idol. so, two Sorry. questions. Um, it's not in the Torah. Where is the? What's the origins of um, Abraham and the idol shop breaking all? the idols? Oh, so that's it's the midrash.
0: A midrash. That's the midrash. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's a midrash. And a lot of what we know about uh, about Abraham is, is is based on the Talmudic um, Mishnah uh, midrash. They fill in the, they fill in the gaps for us. The Torah gives us very little information, aside from Torah only tells us what it needs to tell us. So it highlights a few major events. Because remember, what does the word Torah mean? It means instructions. It means teaching. Everything the Torah tells us is, a, is an instruction. So other things that are pertinent for the historical perspective are not important for the instructional value. So therefore, the Torah won't tell it to us. It might be part of the collective Jewish wisdom. It might be part of the Jewish tradition. It might be par- passed on. And it might be recorded. But it's not part of the Torah. The Torah is primarily a book of laws. Laws in the practical sense, laws in the ethical sense, laws in the philosophical sense. So it tells us about only the things that we need to know vis-a-vis laws.
1: So the second question is... Um, so even the
0: narrative has has a value uh, with regards to the law.
1: So Jesus, uh, as the son of God, the Trinity, the official Jewish position on him, is he considered to be a false god? And the crucifix and the cross, are those idols?
0: Oh gosh, this is going to be unpopular. (laughs) (laughs) This is sex virgin territory for you. There's a lot of interfaith
1: marriages here, including his. I was
0: actually raised Christian, so. But this is. It's unclear. It's unclear. Because actual documentation of this guy, Jesus, is historical. Historicity of Jesus is somewhat in question. Uh, even even the Christian books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written at least 30 years after after Jesus is purported to have lived and been killed. So from, from a historical perspective, to write something, the only time it appears in print in Christian sources, the first time it appears in print in Christian sources is 30 years later, uh, is a tremendous gap. And uh, in Jewish sources, we have... Uh, we have... Varying accounts about about uh, a guy by the name of Yeshua HaNatsri, which is... Yeshua is loosely translated as Jesus. Natsri is from Nazarene, the Nazarene. So... There
3: were other Jesuses before it Jesus. It might have been a popular name. And that's why he clarifies who he is and where he comes from. He says, I am Jesus from Nazareth. Yes,
0: the problem is we have two people in Talmud um, who um, who... Were called Yeshua Nazri. One of them was about 200 years before the common era, so that's about 200 years before, like you know, it's popularly known as to this guy Jesus actually existing. We have someone that could be according to some sources placed at that time as well. Um, We view him as being someone who brought Jews away from God. Remember. Jesus wasn't a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. He kept all the Torah. No one denies that. Was he an ordained rabbi or not? No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, he was a student of one of the rabbis. In one of the narratives, it places him as a student of a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachya, right? Uh, rabbi Yehoshua, the son of Prakhia, is was his uh, teacher. In one of the one of the Yeshua Nazaries, one of these uh, guys who were called Yeshua from Na- um, Nazarene. Uh, so he's viewed as someone who was trying to um, innovate um, unsuccessfully, but he was trying to build this little group within the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. Uh, so he wasn't, he, you know, he never, was, the, the fact that Christians right now don't observe the Torah, don't actually keep the Torah, uh, besides for love thy neighbor as thyself, um, they, were, they aren't doing what Jesus wanted them to do, right? according to the narrative. That's all Paul's doing. Um, that's why was
3: called the Pauline principle for a very
0: well, long the, time. What, the abrogation of the law, right? They were, he, he, he was the one, 100 years later, who, uh, as the leader of the, the nascent Christian movement, uh, he was the one who opened the door for Gentiles to join, he changed. He 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 abrogated the law. He said you don't need to keep the law anymore. It's not important anymore. You don't you can eat whatever you want. You don't need to keep Shabbos. Nothing. There was no circumcision rites. So God. everything, everything was just was thrown at the door, Um and therefore, well, we kind of we kind of look at Paul as being actually pretty good for us. Because the way the early Christians looked, it's kind of, you know, people, Christians were indistinguishable from Jews. They kept the same Torah, they did everything, but in their heart, in their, they gave some sort of either messianic or godly um, belief in this, in this person, which is, against, which, is, which is against Judaism. So you have people that look like Jews, they act like Jews, they come to the same synagogues, and they participate with you, and they send their kids to the same school, and they come over for barbecues in Sunday afternoon. But they're they're Christians. They believe either in the Messianic or what Christianity believes is someone in question. Everyone knows that. Um, But they have have beliefs which are against the Jewish tradition. Comes along Paul, he makes this tremendous uh, deviation or uh, schism or he he changes the trajectory of Christianity. He makes it very popular also. But by taking Christianity and making it a very distinct religion from Judaism, um, he is he accomplishes a lot for um, the continuity of the Jewish people uh, in that we have two distinct religions. Now what was the original question? I don't remember. Uh, what was remember. of course, is the
3: Jesus is a false god a false and false is the cross an idol?
0: Well, crucifixion was a, was a popular method of torture. The Romans, you know, uh, did, the, did if the Jews killed them we didn't kill him by crucifixion. If the Romans killed him, now this is a question, I'm not going to try to answer it right over here right now, but if the Romans killed him, it's possible to kill him via crucifixion. If, if we killed him, it's also possible that we did something to him which is similar to crucifixion, but that's after he's dead. Why is that? Uh, because according to Jewish law when jewish law was practiced and capital crime was meted out there is four capital punishments right stila straight and and one of them the most stringent of them uh, which is called stila uh, is the 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 torah says that after someone is killed in this most stringent manner I don't want to get deviated with the whole discussion about capital punishment in Jewish law, but it almost never happened. Uh, the Talmud says that if a Jewish law kills someone once every, every seven years. years or 70 years, it's not doing their job. Our job is always to not try to kill people. Right? The only way someone could kill is if they are warned within two and a half seconds before they did what they did, and they said, no, what, I'm doing it anyhow, I'm doing it spitefully so, I'm doing it, I don't even know I'm going to get killed. And they do it in front of two witnesses, and the two witnesses are able to withstand this tremendous cross-examination that they get by the court, only then we, could we possibly kill someone. That being said, one of the laws pertaining to the um, to the to the capital punishment of stila is that they hang someone after they kill him. So after they kill him, they would hang him to display. Because the people that that get stila uh, are the most. I'll, I'll just finish this point. Are the most uh, egregious offenders of do the most, it's the most stringent way to be killed, and therefore we want to kind of make a message, we kind of make a, a you know, send a message to the people. So therefore they, they're actually hung, but they're only hung for about five minutes at the Talmud, and actually how they get it hung, it's somewhat in question, either they, the pole is uh, up against the wall, kind of like a, uh, uh, like the longer part of a, of, a, of, a, of a triangle, right, and they put them up against the wall, or something which could be construed as a cross. So if the Jews killed him, they would have killed him via stela, and then they would have placed him up for about five minutes on a cross. Something or cross. Something that maybe could, could have been a cross. That's the easy answer. Did I answer the question? Officially? I don't remember what the question was. What question? The specific asking is, do, do we look at the...
1: Do, do we, we go to a it? church that
0: Jesus hanged on the cross? Yes, vinyl? yes, yes. So we view... Remember, Christianity itself no, doesn't know that to what it believes in. It's, there's so many different variations. But according any kind of godly-like status to a person is a, is, is, is a, is a degree Idolatrous. of... Of idolatry, yes. Um, Shauna, there was a question. So, you're saying... I mean, in order for a juicy... I mean, you have to do something totally heinous to
1: actually
0: be killed... By the Jews, right? Yes.
1: Because we don't do that. Like so if well, if well, kill Jesus, yeah.
0: he does it on something really bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That, that, well, we know for sure he did. He he was evil. trying to uh he was developing, he had these very novel ideas. He's trying to be very innovative about uh about God, about maybe he was a false prophet, maybe he was teaching Jews to uh, to deviate from from their faith. These are very serious infractions. Okay. These are very serious okay. crimes. But
2: are they subject to uh, capital punishment?
0: Uh, some of them are, yes. Is it like under a, certain circumstances?
2: Apostasy, or something?
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. Or a certain, certain. I
2: so only Muslims do that. Right? What do you mean? Killing uh, other Muslims. Who are
0: uh, in in the United States, the only way that someone could get Capital punishment is if they kill someone else. No, not in, that. in in, in, in Torah law, there's a it's a lot it's a lot broader. But it's almost it's almost impossible to actually get killed. But in the strict sense of the law, there's a lot more than just than just uh, murder murder is as well. But if someone uh rape under certain circumstances, uh, like I said, uh, provided that all the other qualifications, innumerable qualifications, are actually uh, fulfilled would be uh, in the category of capital crime in in Jewish law so, so if that that being said uh, if the Jews killed Jesus, we don't know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't um, the The narrative, the story of the cross would, ha- would 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 not be the way we killed him okay? Um, yeah, the way we were
1: looking at three crosses on the hill the you of know, crosses on the hill, like you know, perfect cemetery and all that sort of thing when I was on Golgotha, uh, I went to Golgotha to with uh, and, and I thought you to dig a hole in the ground there and try to stick up one of the ribed crosses. Mm. And they said that when our guy told us that when Jesus and them got crucified, if that did happen, they were like this because they could not stretch them all out like that. It just
0: it's not yeah, true. and also another point is that it's possible this guy Jesus actually never existed. We don't know for sure. We don't have historical documentation of someone who the only guy we have is Josephus, but every Josephus historian agrees that the little bit that they had about Jesus was a forgery. Everyone agrees, Google it and believe me later. Well, so I
1: was t- just talking t- about the progression of the idolatry. See, I mean they, they they couldn't
0: very well put it was not kind of nasty to put a guy up like this. Yeah, the, they
1: got the three crosses on the
0: hill see how yeah, The Rome, the maybe the Romans killed them. Maybe they, the Romans we know were very much uh, favored that method of torture. We know that we have, uh, like we said, we have Josephus who talks about that, and yeah, we know but that
3: Josephus they, is frequently wrong
0: well, maybe yes, maybe no, but he's he's the historian from that time, you know? And we know for sure that a little bit about Jesus there is a forgery put in hundreds of years later. Everyone knows that. No one denies that. Google eyes, as I said. So it's possible that this Jesus character is a composite <laughs> of different people. Like we said, in the Jewish text, we have two people named Yeshua Natsariah um, the Christian texts all come much, much later. They, were, they might might or may not have been heavily edited. We know that the Council in Nicaea in the year 325 did a very uh, thorough job of editing, clarifying, um, uh, amending, um, getting rid of st- certain texts that didn't conform to... So we don't really know anything about this uh, individual from a historical perspective. All right. a slightly like
2: related topic. How did uh, materially?
0: Torah from Old Testament. Well, we have 300, 613 mitzvot. They have one. So, like we said, the Torah is about is about mitzvot. It's about commandments. So the word Torah means commandment. Everything in the Torah is a commandment. right? When Paul abrogated the law, right? right? I'm saying the New Testament incorporates the Old Testament as well. The point is, in our practice, what we do with it, we have a Torah. Torah means commandments. The Torah gives us lots of instructions and the Gentiles have one. So, huh?
1: Like they, what they call the Old Testament, the Torah.
0: Yeah. Well, the Old Testament means the Torah. Same thing. Yeah, lie, yeah. yeah. Is specifically lie lie not
1: difference. the Bible, uh, yeah, the Bible yeah. but Old
2: Testament versus Torah.
0: Yeah, well, the Old Testament also includes the books of the prophets and the books of the writings. Um, the Torah mean, is the Torah. What Christians
2: refer to as the Old Testament is
4: what we refer to as, as Tanakh. Tanakh, the Bible. The, 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 the whole
0: the
4: Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Um, I have a, a Friend who recently published a book where he likes to refer to the elder testament and the younger testament. Um, because you know, because it's you know, the old old testament means
0: you know, could apply old out- outdated, archaic, generic, irrelevant. irrelevant. Yeah,
4: um, but, the, but his, I mean, there's lots of different historical theories.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, w- what's what's clear? Everyone has to agree that from a historical perspective, if we use the same methods of evaluating historical information uh, that we use elsewhere to Jesus, we don't know for sure that he actually existed. Everyone agrees to that point. We don't have documentation, eyewitness accounts of this fellow that, that is not in conflict with any of the eyewitness accounts, right? The, jo- the Josephus, uh, that that's a that's a forgery. The Christian text that came much later was heavily edited. We didn't know about, we can that's to the veracity Matthew, that
3: Mark Luke and John do not all tell the same story in the same way. Right, so there's there's
0: deviations, there's, there's yes, yeah. So the ark of the covenant then. Yeah. That's not an idol even though No, no, I no.
4: Understand, I understand. But they go into a special area to worship or to commune with God. I'm just trying to get this
0: straight in my mind. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or the high priest did. All the vessels of the temple um, were the temple is a like a touch point between the physical world and the spiritual world right this is like if you to say in in one sentence what is the jewish idea you would say that there is some sort of interplay between the spiritual and physical world that would be it so therefore it's in our bodies we could do an action a physical action to have a spiritual ramification we have a physical body but a spiritual soul right we're able to do physical actions connect to god the temple is a manifestation of that idea—a physical world. You're doing physical activities, but it has spiritual ramifications, right? For the individuals, for the Jewish people, uh, the temple had lots of lots of vessels. There were lots of uh, uh, like, there were lots of things in the temple. There was altars. There was uh, there were sacrifices. There were all these physical things that had spiritual manifestations, like The Ark of the Covenant, which uh, was only around in the first temple, uh, was in the Holy of Holies. Is like there's different chambers and the, right there's certain areas that only Cohens could go to, certain areas that only the Kohen, the, the supreme Kohen, the High Priest, and only on Yom Kippur, only on on, on the high, the holiest day of the year, you only went in there twice. And uh, and in there was uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It's a small gold box that had. Three pieces. It had the well, a couple. It had four pieces. It had. There's a gold box inside. There was a little wood piece of wood, and then another gold box that covered the wood. Inside that was the actual, uh, um, the actual tablets, the broken tablets and the new tablets. Um, uh, And on top of that, there were the cherubs. So there was like a gold cover with the cherubs. The seraphim. Right. um, It had two poles on each side. Uh, It was there the whole time. Never moved. Um, it disappeared after the first temple. We don't know where it is right now. second temple, there was just this rock. It may have been the rock of the Dome of the Rock. Not clear. Maybe yes, maybe no, because the Talmud described it as being only three inches off the ground. Uh, but if you actually go to Jerusalem and you go to the Dome of the Rock, where you kind of really shouldn't go there, according to traditional Jewish law, because it's the holy place, but if you go there, it's an enormous rock. So is it the same rock? Is it not? There's different opinions. Uh, either way... Uh, the the the, uh, the ark of the covenant is not considered an idolatry. No one ever worships it, right? It's a vessel. Let's say it's 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 a spiritual um, item that can be used for. It's a physical item that can be used for spiritual activities. It's a repository. Well, it, 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 what because it does contain, like we said, it contains the Torah, right? Um, but it doesn't uh, contain God? No, it how can you contain God? No, uh, but but the the whole idea of a temple is a place where the Shechina goes. What does that mean? It's kind of a spiritual home uh, or physical home for a spiritual entity. What they represent the holiness, right? Because they couldn't even touch it. Couldn't touch what? The ark. Yeah, well, it says that the ark uh, the ark was a certain size, but if you actually measure the room, it was uh, it was it was uh, what ten amas, I think, um, which is ten cubits, like twenty feet. And this itself was two was two amos, which is like four feet. But if you it from either side, it was five amos. So it didn't actually take up any space. So it had some; it was this physical item that had some sort of spiritual uh, qualities by the fact that it didn't actually take up any space, which is was yeah. But the point is, is that no one ever worshipped it. Okay, we got heavily sidetracked, well, and it's ready, eleven.
4: Excuse me for a for, for uh, an announcement. Uh, Shauna has some flyers here. Dan, I uh, had passed out the the schedule for Yom Lamud. Did you say something about Yom Lamud when you passed out? Uh, no, why don't you go ahead and talk about that and what we're doing here at the temple. Okay, so Yom Lulud sure. is a day of, is a, is a full day of learning from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock of like five or six different classes going on all at the same time, rabbis and scholars from throughout the Houston area and beyond all get together. It's I forget if it's $5 or $10 or $18, one Whatever it is, it's very reasonable. You go in the morning, you go in the afternoon. whatever you want to go, you take three classes or one class or five classes, whatever you like, um, on a wide, wide range of
0: topics. Um, uh, the, the core of our discussion today that we'll hopefully will continue next week um, is something that I want to make sure so everyone just takes home with them. Uh, that's a few ideas. We, got, we, tried, we started digging into the question of why, right? We know the what God created. We agree with that. There has to be a purpose. What's the purpose? Traditional Jewish uh, philosophy tells us there's two purposes, either something, uh, a, a completion, a perfection of God's kingdom, of God's creation, of, of God's dominion, uh, that which could be only brought about by humans via their free will, uh, or to give humans... Pleasure to God needed to give, God wanted to give, He wasn't able to do that if it's just Him. He wanted to give the greatest goodness. He didn't want to give bread of shame, yet He wanted to give uh, goodness, pleasure to people who earned it. How do you earn pleasure? Via your free will. So, next week we're going to try to dig in a little bit more about free will, maybe how it works. Uh, and also, also we're going to, going to try to actually sum up, or not sum up, we'll try to go further into exploration of this idea of pleasure, the pleasure that God wants us to give, and how it's connected to our free will. How our free, how exercising our free will is going to bring us to the pleasure that God had intended for us. And uh, thank you all for coming. And thank you, thank you everyone for you know, getting a sidetrack, which I appreciate. I apologize for any uh, statements that... Uh... <laughs> yeah? <laughs>